Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm really excited for today's episode. I'm sitting across from a good friend and a psychotherapy group mate, Corey Flanders, talking about one of my favorite topics that I, I wish we talked more about, which is kind of the darker side of spiritual practice, specifically meditation and the Buddhist community. It's something that I experienced um, you know, during my time at Naropa and a little bit afterwards of seeing you know, the human side of divinity, right? The human side of these these big communities uh, was kind of shocking to me. And I can't wait to hear more about personally Corey's experience and to have him share that with you. Um, so Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, it's great that we get to meet each other in this different arena. I mean, we've done group together where we're both kind of like regressed little babies, you know, trying to struggle. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it feels it feels nice not to be regressed in front of you, Mark. Right? Yeah. You know, we can like finally just share what we're passionate about. Um, yeah. I'm really excited for this. So as we kick it off, you know, as you know, in this show, uh, we talk about the from the ashes story, which is the idea of when you got knocked down, you know, thrown your face in the ground and had to get back up, um, get back up stronger, learn some lessons along the way. So I'll kick it over to you. What's your from the ashes story? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, you, you know, as I was thinking about doing the the podcast with you, Mark, I really appreciate the the invitation um, I think really what's been coming up for me a lot is this idea of like the dark night of the soul. Like I was so hopeful when I finally got into Buddhism, sort of discovered it for myself. Um, I've been struggling a lot in my 20s. Uh, I was living in Portland at the time, um, just drinking a lot and um, just struggling with meaning. I felt like my life in a way, like ever since sort of middle school was a crisis of meaning. Um, so, uh, you know, one thing led to another, I, I, my life wasn't working. I was getting really desperate. Um, and, uh, at one point I, I picked up a book. I actually was walking by this bookstore called the looking glass bookstore. And they had, um, a display of, uh, just one book. There's dozens of them. And it was the Tibetan book of living and dying. And I happened to be walking by and I just, I walked by the display. I didn't really even look at it. And something sort of grabbed me and, and turned me around and made me go back. And I, I went back, I saw the book, uh, picked it, went inside, bought it and, and brought it home and, and read the book. Um, and, you know, I, I went through it in just a few days. Um, I had been in just such a sort of a spiritually dark place, you know, just sort of existentially dark. Um, and read it. And I just had a lot of, um, you know, just a beautiful response to it. It was very cathartic for me to read. It felt like all the messaging that I had been receiving as I was growing up, um, you know, messaging about, you know, I could be anything I wanted. if I just tried hard enough. Um, messaging about that I should be wanting um, to be rich. I should be wanting to be super successful. 
Um, but when I would ask somebody, I asked my parents, you know, like, well, you know, why, why do I have to get good grades? There was never like a clear, <clears throat> never a clear answer. They didn't seem to know either. They just knew that I should be doing that thing. So when I started to read that book, the Tibetan book of living and dying, it was, you know, right, right there, right up in, in, the, in front of the messaging was, we're going to die. You're only on this planet for so long. Um, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with your time and your energy? And it was like a breath of fresh air for me to finally, um, you know, feel like somebody was speaking truth to me. Yeah. So can, that, yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> if you can say more about that existential emptiness, you know, the crisis of meaning that you were talking about, I can imagine a lot of people, a lot of listeners feel that. I feel like just like you said, they're doing the things because they're on the checklist, not because there's any purpose attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I'm sure you do too, Mark, you know, like a lot of people in my practice as a psychotherapist, they come in here with just this very issue. Um, you know, we don't do emotion very well in our culture. We don't really talk about how we're feeling deep down. Um, we don't teach kids how to do that. So I think people end up going through the motions and like, what's that phrase, you know, like climbing a ladder, you know, like climb the ladder of life only to find out that it was leaning against the wrong wall. Um, mm -hmm. So there's just something about that. Like, I felt like there was, you know, I loved life, you know, as a kid, you know, I was filled with joy. And then, um, you know, that, that seemed to just leach away over time. So that by the time I was, you know, in middle school and beyond, you know, teenage years, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't get the girlfriend I was supposed to have, you know, I couldn't do the social thing like other kids were doing. I didn't fit into the cliques. So, um, you know, I didn't, just didn't really have anybody around me that, to help me uh, know what to get out of life or what life was about. So, yeah. So from that perspective, it was just, I think it just graded and weighed on me over time. I think that paints a really great picture. So you, you see this book, you read it, you devour it. What yeah. next? Yeah. So, um, you know, it was, it was such, such an important thing. Uh, so cathartic, as I said, um, so much so that two weeks later, I hopped on a plane. I went to France. I was studying with Sogyal Rinpoche, the, the writer of the book, learned meditation for the first time. It was so, so compelling. Um, not only, like I said, was the messaging there, but we have to understand about meditation that meditation isn't about messaging. It's about direct experience. It's about like, you know, uh, these traditions that meditation, different meditation styles come from are, are really about freedom. And, and it's about finding joy in life and, and meaning and, and, and um, taking advantage of, you know, our human condition. So, um, you know, going there, I was learning how to tap in, you know, meditation as it was taught was teaching me how to access inside of myself, these deeper layers. Um, and I started to realize or catch on to the idea that, um, that it might be within me, right. That there was something there for me, but, um, you know, I know that the podcast is not called like, you know, you found everything Ray, right. It's called like up from the ashes. So I, the problem started to like come in, I think after I had returned to the States and struggled to try and put this meditation practice into good use. Um, and 
uh, in that process, I ended up getting involved with the spiritual community, a Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist community for about 13 years. And, and that's when things really started to, um, there, I mean, there was a lot of good stuff there too, but um, I got caught up in focusing on the wrong things during that period. So, um, you know, I, I guess one of the messages that I, I, I want to kind of impart here is that um, oftentimes people misperceive what meditation is about and um, they use meditation. Let me just, let me just use myself as the example. I started to use meditation to fill the hole that was inside of me. So yes, I, it was giving me a direct connection. Yes, it was providing meaning, but there was also some part of me that was like, oh, wow, here's my thing. Here's my thing that now maybe everybody will start to validate me for. Here's the thing that I can sort of wear an identity that I could wear on my sleeve that would signal to people who I was and that those people would then you know, give me the kind of feedback to help me felt good about myself. The other thing I found myself doing a lot of was um, not letting go of this dream of perfection, which I think is, is related to feeling empty on the inside. So it's like, you know, constantly dreaming like, oh, I'm going to be this thing. I, when I, you know, when all my problems have ended, you know, things will feel good. And so sort of like pushing and using meditation to try and, and make that sort of thing happen. Um, you know, there's some, this, this vision of enlightenment, you know, the enlightened one, you know, the stories are all about Buddha becoming enlightened. And then, you know, it kind of looks like on the, from the outside, right? Like, you know, all his problems went away. You know, he was the awakened one. Everybody went to him and he gave the right answer to everybody. And everybody loved him and revered him. And I was like, oh, that's what I want. I want to be loved. I want to be revered. I want to have the right answer for everybody, um, which was just my mind's way of trying to figure out my way out of pain. Right. Like you want to belong. You want to feel important. You want to feel wise. Um and safe, right? If you're the leader of that group, if you're the wise guy, you know, sitting on the deer skin, right? No one's going to leave you. Right. That's right. And nobody's going to leave you. Exactly. And I think, you know, I was, I was also looking for, um, you know, a a different kind of father figure, let's say, you know, somebody who wasn't going to leave me. And so in, in my life in the community, I was also projecting onto the person that was at the front of the room, the guru. I got caught into sort of the guru trap where now I'm starting to, to, to chase after him to get his uh, validation. I'm starting to do things in order to, um, you know, be accepted by, by more deeply by him. And that was the vision for myself too. Like, oh, when I get to his position, you know, I'm going to have people like me who look at me with the same sort of starry eyes. And, and it is this sort of fantasy of never being left and always being a part of something deeper. But there's also avoidance of, um, you know, the dynamics that make us human and make life hard. Well, so I'm curious, were you aware of this at the time or, or, was anything of that coming up in your practice or did this happen in retrospect when you were looking back after making the change? Yeah, it's mostly retrospective. I think, you know, I think we, um, well, I think I get uh, lost in it. Like I couldn't really see my own functioning 
And one of the things that I think is, is interesting about meditation is actually all the information is there. Like if I was able to look clearly now when I look back and I see, you know, I was filled with fear. I was filled with um, longing. I was, I was terrorized inside myself that um, somebody, you know, it's, it's imposter syndrome, right? Somebody's going to find out that I, I wasn't doing meditation the right way, or I wasn't um, getting to where I wanted to be. I wasn't enlightened enough to end up taking on that, the kind of role that would have, um, you know, found me with followers or something, you know? Um, so there, it, there was always this, um, this deep unhappiness was still with me. I think a deep kind of emptiness, a lack of, um, of identity was still haunting me, but I was um, using what they call, you know, spiritual materialism. I know you know a lot about that from your time at Naropa, you know, just sort of like leaping over my problems and trying to avoid them through spiritualizing everything. So I, I was kind of a bit of a mystery to myself. Right. Well, I think that's really common with people, especially, well, I guess I'll say, especially with American Buddhism, but I, feel like I haven't had too much experience outside of America, but I, I guess I see it a lot here of becoming like the Buddhist character, you know, or becoming the enlightened character or kind of taking it on almost as, as like a fashion or a style. Right. And it sounds like that trap hooked you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hook, line and sinker. And doesn't, doesn't, you know, like, you know, our American, you know, way of thinking and being in the world, right. Is, is sort of about this, you know, becoming, you know, so with the messaging, you know, I don't know exactly how it is in the old country necessarily, but we sort of import these traditions and we Americanize them, you know, and it's happening all around us right now, you know, with mindfulness and, and meditation, it's like, you know, you too can become your best, most awesome self. You know, so so it's easy to fall into that trap, I think, and and miss the point of meditation. Yeah, yeah, I know that happened a little bit for me, because I think at least in American culture, right? Like my first exposure to meditation or mindfulness was like kung fu movies or comic books, right? It was like this hero character that can like punch through trees or like you know an airbender or whatever, right? Like that was what I originally thought the thing was about, and I do. As I was thinking, I do. I went to Cambodia for you know about a month or so, and I remember talking to them about the monks, and there were people that like looked like the Airbenders, right? Like shaved head monk, you know, orange robe, and the normal Cambodian people, the, like the average folk, were like, "Yeah, those people are bums, right? Like, <laughs> like they weren't like revered." I think in the same way that that type of like you know far eastern character is in American culture, which I thought was really fascinating. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and then like add into like, you know, Star Wars, that whole culture. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, being spiritual had its like kind of badass side, you know, karate movies and, and all of that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I felt like a Jedi, you know, and I wanted to be a Jedi. You know, I didn't want to be a schlub. Right. You want to yeah. be magical. Yeah. I didn't want to pump gas. <laughs> I didn't want to sell fucking insurance. You know, I wanted to be magical. Yeah. I wanted to be above it all. Yeah. So how did it come crashing down? Like when did you make that break mm. out from it? Yeah. Um, well, you know, my time there and the, the, for those 13 years culminated in a series of hundred day retreats 
So I had been doing a, a hell of a lot of retreat and it sort of culminated into this um, a situation where I was down in Texas on a piece of property and we were um, uh, trying to put together, um, you know, a situation where we could go in and out of retreat a hundred days at a time, like every fall for a hundred days. So, you know, I could tell myself a lot of stories or let's say avoid these inner feelings I was having and that I was repressing but if you put yourself in an eight by 12 room for a hundred days, um, there's only so much avoiding you can do, you know? So even in the first hundred day retreat, it was like, it was like an experience of um, torture. Like I didn't really want to be there. I didn't want to be doing the things I was supposed to be doing like a hundred thousand prostrations, full body prostrations, which is where you fall down in your face, stretch all the way out and then pull back up to standing and then back again and again. Um, and I, but I still tried to, you know, figured out a way to avoid and ignore, um, you know, what was happening for me. So by the time the fourth one came around, I, I, I was struggling so mightily and was so sort of terrorized by the process. And I, I had lost myself. I didn't feel like I could, I could really fit there anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't stay with the, um, the uh, the culture that had been built up there around the guru and 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 all of that. So by the time um, the end of the fourth hundred day came around, it just became clear that I needed to move on. And luckily, it was just in time because the the entire community had started to kind of fray and fall apart. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up out of it. But the the ashes part was that it took a very long time to um, gel back up because I felt like my psyche was in pieces and I had just done a lot of, it had been, it had been traumatizing as much as it had been valuable. Now that's really interesting. Uh, when we get on the other side of a commercial break, I want to hear a lot more about maybe the sickness in the community, how it fell apart, what was going on there that you saw after that, you know, last retreat and then how you brought yourself back up. Mm -hmm. uh, for those listening out there, uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, helping us out, sharing on social media, sending it to somebody who you think might be in a similar situation or someone that might relate to what Corey is talking about is really helpful as we're building up our audience and trying to get this message out there to other individuals. So tune in, hang tight, listen to some commercials, and we will catch you on the other side of the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. 
For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting with Corey Flanders as we're talking about his experience of you know, existential dread, existential emptiness, finding the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, studying with the author of that book, which I didn't know. That's like pretty cool that you went all the way up the chain, mm-hmm. um, you know, diving into Buddha's community and then seeing it fall apart, seeing some more difficult realities. You were talking about going on these 400-day retreats and noticing by the end of it, um, I guess some of the sickness in the guru mentality or some of the group dynamics. I'm curious what you were seeing by the end of that stint there. What what turned you off to the whole the whole thing, the whole game? Yeah, well, you know, th- you know, that question makes me just think about like groupthink and and sort of cult issues. Um this sort of guru devotion or guru worship, that you know, that whole thing. Um, there's something about like, you know, adhering to these, to these traditions and, uh, and, um, it's like, we, we, we import these, the messages, right? Like, so for instance, in Tibetan Buddhism, right. Is this idea of guru devotion. And in order to be a good student, you have to do everything that the guru says. Like once you find your, you know, spend some time finding a guru. And once you've figured out that this guru is for you, like your job is basically to um, do what he or she says um, and, and to uh, you know, sort of trust in their intuition and their guidance to help you along the path towards, you know, spiritual freedom, let's say. Um, but there's a little bit of a problem with that in that, um, you know, there's, there's ample opportunity to um to to stop listening to yourself like if the ego you know in buddhism a lot of times they'll talk about the ego right the ego is sort of the bad guy you know so if the ego is has its grasp of us right and and our resistance um is ego driven then it's it's within our um benefit to not listen to the ego we're trying to train ourselves how not to like listen to um ourselves um, and there's this whole, you know, this whole culture of letting go of the ego, like letting go, be free of it, you know, don't let it grasp, get, you know, grasp a hold of you. So I think that there was a way in which I took that to heart so deeply and, and swallowed it so fully that my intuition about things not being right 
um, I was overriding that. And, um, you know, any part of me that was like, you know, making a question in my mind, I was like, okay, that's just my ego. Let me put it out. What I've got to be do doing here is following the guru. But unfortunately, you know, gurus, lamas, and teachers, you know, they still have their own stuff. And so, you know, then we fall into the trap of, you know, spiritual communities where, you know, teachers are under the sway of power or wielding power, you know, uh, unhealthily. Um, you know, of course, there's also sexual abuse and other things that happen in these communities. Um, it hadn't sort of reached that pitch in ours, but certainly um, we were unhealthy. We were an unhealthy, toxic community, and it was getting worse, not better. Um, so that's kind of, you know, kind of what I've been noticing happening there. So it was not only myself, you know, not being able to just attend to the practices I was supposed to be doing, quote unquote, supposed to, but also like the community itself, I think was kind of falling apart. Yeah, that dynamic is what I think prevented me from joining those communities. I mean, from my own personal background, I have a really strong anti-authority streak. So the whole thing of devotion practice, I was like, nah, <laughs> like right. not, not right. for me. Um, but also I think that was colored and reinforced by, you know, the history of Naropa and uh, Chogim Trumpa Rinpoche, who incredible writer. I mean, his book, like my version of your Tibetan book of living and dying was uh, Shambhala Sacred Path of the Warrior. Uh, a right. girlfriend sent that to me and that just blew my mind yeah. you know, open. I was like, Great oh my book. God, like this book is written for me. Um, that being said, right, I mean, Trungpa Rinpoche had this history of he went to sexual abuse, right? It went to, he was an active alcoholic, right? He, you know, there's times where he would be so drunk that they would have to like wheel him in a wheelchair to give a talk. He wasn't able to stand. He died of alcoholism. Yeah. And some of my teachers at Naropa would just justify it, right? Of like, oh, well, we can't understand the way that the guru is doing, or maybe here's like a lesson from his alcoholism or because he was having sex with, you know, his chosen consorts, there's like, there's a deeper meaning. And just, I just didn't buy that. You know, I was like, he's still a person. He still is being corrupted by power, right. you know, and the justification is, was very disturbing to me, right. quite frankly, of how people were trying to bypass, you know, spiritual materialism, spiritual bypassing, what was like clearly problematic, hurtful behavior. Right. Yeah, there's this whole like, you know, this whole concept of skillful means in Tibetan Buddhism. And, and it, it's sort of uh, used to kind of justify all sorts of behaviors on the, on the, 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 the uh, side of the, the guru or the Lama. Um, you know, it's like if they're doing something bad and it's, it's bugging you, it's troublesome in some way. Oh, well, it's just their skillful means being employed in order to get your, your shit your your defensiveness your whatever it is up and out of your system mm -hmm. so it's like they're doing it for your benefit you know and and when you're under the sway of that uh those communities it's like you, you know at least i i totally bought into it you know so it was another way of not questioning or, or stopping the questioning and being like okay oh more yes more you know, contributing to your own abuse in a certain kind of way yeah it, it's it's scary i mean yeah, in the Shabala community, it's called crazy wisdom, which I think is because Trungpa was like beyond skillful means. Like the stuff he was doing was actually crazy. Right. And the idea was like, oh, yeah. I mean, the same thing you're saying, right? It's like he's doing that intentionally to teach you this lesson. And it's just such a roundabout way of justifying these things that are happening. Right. And I think, you know, what you're saying, it's like, yeah, it, what I hear as a member is like, oh, it's your fault. 
Like it's your fault. You have a problem with this. Like nothing is wrong about this. You need to look inside yourself and figure out why you have a problem with this. Right. Or aren't you grateful that like, you know, you've been given this opportunity to work on this thing that, you know, this, this sticking point in you, you know, because that's standing in the way of you and being free and, you know, eating a shit sandwich, you know, that's actually, that's actually a thing in in Tibetan Buddhism. It's like, Oh, you know, are you enlightened? Well, you know, can you eat a shit sandwich and like, you know, not be bothered by it? Well, I guess you're not enlightened. It's like, it gets really weird. Really intense gatekeeping. Yeah. (laughs) Really intense gatekeeping. Yeah. And also like, just like a disregard of our, our, our humanness. Yes. That's what you were saying earlier, right? It's this idea of not to feel or not to be affected by things maybe is more accurate to be able to like be anywhere, do anything and just have it not affect you. I don't know if that's what enlightenment is, but I think it does get corrupted into being that into feeling that right. Like, Oh, I'm not going to have any feelings. I'm not going to right. I'm just going to be above everything. Right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, something that's kind of coming up for me too, Mark, is that like, you know, I I guess I just want to say too, that I, I, I still meditate. You know, I've been meditating for 25 years. I've been working with different teachers and, you know, I'm involved with a different community now. Um, I'm not involved with it in the same way. Um, and it's not the same type of community. But, um, you know, I just want to also just, you know, sort of counterbalance that message that I do think that like meditation is like the highest form of, of human art. You know, it's the sort of the pièce de résistance of like what we've done as human beings. So I, I just also want to counterbalance that message too. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, yeah, for listeners out there, I have a daily practice too, right? <laughs> right, I, right. Like I think I think we're talking about yeah the human side and the group dynamic side and the darker side of it. But I think the practice, similar to you, is incredible. I mean, it's really life. It has been life changing. Continues to be life changing for me. Right, right. Um, so so let's let's talk yeah. about that, right? So how did you? How did you come back from that big shock experience and how did you integrate yeah. spiritual practice into your life in a more uh, healthier way? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think the, the, the biggest piece of it was having to grow up, like coming out of the, the that spiritual community. Um, I hadn't really been doing myself any favors like I hadn't, you know, developed a career. I didn't have any savings. As a matter of fact, I had debt. Um, I had a lot of wonderful experiences during that time. I went on pilgrimage a lot. I traveled the world. Um, loved doing retreat for the most part. Um, but, uh, you know, once, once I left, I didn't have, you know, I felt like I had no ground to stand on. So it was a very slow process of learning how to trust myself again learning how to trust inner voices of intuition and my critical thinking skills, um, learning how to trust people in relationship um, and just going sort of step by step. And, and sometimes it felt like I, I had no movement on the path forward. Like there was nowhere to go. And sometimes, you know, it took for, it just seemed like it took for a, a very long time. So um, yeah, like when I first came back, um, actually, strangely enough, after that last 100-day retreat, I ended up living in Manhattan, of all places, for a year. Um, I was dating somebody at the time. And then on the heels of that, I ended up in my own apartment here in Providence, where I still live. And this is about 10, 12 years ago. 
And I remember just almost being like frightened to exist. I feel like I didn't, felt like I didn't know how to meditate anymore. Um, I was going back to school. I was starting to go to graduate school, but I didn't really know how to meet people. I didn't um, know how to develop good relationships. I was certainly not sure if I could, uh, you know, uh, get through school. And I was also really connected to this identity as a meditator. So I was like sort of forcing this notion inside myself that I should be a llama. I should be teaching meditation. I should be doing this because otherwise, what's all of that for that I just went through? Um, so I think, you know, it was a slow process. And to, to be quite honest with you, and this comes, comes from somebody who uh, was very avoidant of relationship, which I think, I think contributed to part of the problem in the first place. Um, so one of the things I was avoiding was a kind of relational intimacy that it was, it was finding, um, you know, developing a relationship with a woman who's now my, my wife and, and slowly learning how to let that in with the help of therapists and others. Um, that's been the thing that's, that's been more grounding and healing for me than anything else, actually. Now, can you say more about that? I mean, that's something that I'm currently working through, as you know, from our time in group. But right. I would love to hear more about what that process was like for you um, and how it relates to you know, your journey at, at, at large. Yeah. Um, I guess what, I'll, what I'd say about it is, um, you know, I was afraid to be seen. You know, I, I think, you know, my search for a guru let's say, was a way of me trying to find a better relationship than I had with my dad when I was growing up. Um, my dad's a, you know, a, a nice guy, he's gener generous person, so we don't want to throw him under the bus, but I, it was just a, a situation in which I was thirsting for more. Um, and that's what let, sort of latched me into this sort of um, the spiritual community. And then on the other side of it, I, I didn't feel like I had the the ability to trust that I was going to be seen or, or met or um, cared for. Um, and it was really scary. And I had been, I don't know if this is the same for you, Mark, but I've been in a bunch of relationships and um, prior to be getting into Buddhism and, and abandoned them like pretty quickly. Like I could maybe only last for like three months, maybe four. Um, and then I would start getting real uchi, you know, um, so there was something about this woman. I met her in a, in a yoga uh, class and luckily she had been through something similar in a Zen community um, for many years that she lived at. So we had something to talk about. So I could sense that there was something there for me. Um, and then it was just finding the right therapist to help me withstand the fear that our um, intimacy brought up in me. Um, but learning how to be cared for and held by her um, healed a lot of those wounds. That's a big piece. Of course, having my son, Liam. Hello, Liam. He's seven. Um, and I know he's listening. Um, having, you know, my son and, and her, that was the, the biggest piece, I think, uh, uh, of my healing. But then also finding an appropriate meditation practice and uh, and and a tradition to belong to that was a little bit more conducive to who I was psychologically, at least at that stage in my life. I think those two things together are the most important. 
Yeah, that's really inspiring. I mean, that's what I'm trying to work on with the person I'm dating now and, and in group as well. And with my therapist is trying to let other people in and be relational. You know, we talked a little bit um, during the break about what brought me to meditation. And I think it's relevant here where I was coming off, you know, two and a half, three years of really intensive drug use and a lot of chaos, a lot of hurting myself, hurting other people, you know, breaking promises, destroying relationships. I mean, just like total like nightmare, you know, run. And for me, the draw of meditation wasn't the enlightenment piece. It was the control piece of just like sitting down, shutting up, staring at a wall because I had lost complete faith in myself. And I was like, I need to be contained. I need to be safe. I, I do not trust almost anything that I even thought, right? Like forget about like do, thought, perceived. Like I had shattered my experience of myself and my trust in myself. Um, you know, I remember thinking, because I'm also a nerd, I'm thinking of like, you know, like when the Hulk gets crazy, you know, in the comics, sometimes they just like take him in a helicopter and throw him in the desert. So he can just like punch cactuses <laughs> until he calms down, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and that's where my mind went. I was like, I need to just like separate myself out from everything. Um, yeah. But that's very lonely, you know, and, and I think meditation, at least for me, my dark side of it was, it was alone. I could just be alone and I could justify being alone. I could justify not becoming intimate or vulnerable with people or opening up. And I was just sitting and I was doing this like higher order thing, this very th this thing that I do still value, obviously, but it, it justified a lot of that isolation. And I think helped me double down on some of my avoidant patterns that I hear right. you talking about as well. Well, it's like, you know, these things have their season, right? It sounds like, you know, at the first part of it, that, you know, you really did need the containment that it was giving you. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's like we have to know when to shift as, um, as, as our needs shift. And that's also hard if you can't see yourself. Right. Exactly. And it's also hard if you, like in your situation, if you're in a community that's really all moving forward, you know, in one direction and being like, oh, I don't know if I want to go this direction anymore. Um, right. I think it's tough for people, right? It's like, um, what is it? Um, it's like the investment fallacy. That's not the name of it. But the thing of like, oh, I've done this for a long time. I can't back away, right? Right, Which right. it sounds, you know, uh, which I, I hear you talking about too, of just kind of being stuck in the momentum of it all. Right. Like, how, you know, if I just back out of it, like what does everything I've done mean? Right. And who am I? Right. Who? What's who my identity I, if I? I'm not right. This, right. this Buddhist guy, right? right? Yeah. I put it all in black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as we move into an extra commercial break, we're going to be talking about um, if you're a listener out there and you feel connected to Corey's story, uh, she's going to have some advice or some practices or something that might help you. We're trying to give away practical information in that last segment. So uh, stay tuned. I uh, can't wait to see where this goes. It's been a great episode so far. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. 
one of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark dash azulay dot teachable dot com that's mark m a r c dash azulay a z o u l a y dot teachable dot com for teens by teens and about teens tune into the uncensored and unedited discussions with young adults on express yourself every sunday at 3 p.m pacific time and 6 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel smart tenacious teen hosts and reporters from around the country speak up and speak out express yourself visit the website for the show to find out more at expressyourselfteenradio.com and check out the show on the voice america empowerment channel every sunday are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN. Listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. So, Corey, we were talking in the in the pre-show about, you know, you're a therapist now and you work with a lot of clients that are in a similar situation to the one that you were describing. That yeah. either, you know, meditated and I think your words for are like freaked out, which I totally get, right? Or people that are stuck in these spiritual communities or maybe coming out of them and trying to make sense of, you know, kind of what happened. Um what would you say if one of those people are listening to this podcast right now, if you relate to Corey's story, um, what would you want those people to hear? Yeah, um, I think that's one of the benefits, actually, that of um, everything that I had gone through is that now one of the niches that have you know, kind of organically developed in my practice is working with, as you say, meditators in distress, people who have um, either, you know, got into meditation because they read a book or um, they went on a retreat or for whatever reason, they um, are having some sort of experience that's destabilizing or scary to them, or they're um, caught up in something, you know, maybe a community or something and it's scary. So, um, so it's, it's actually work that I really enjoy and, and, I, and I like doing. 
Um, so what would I say to, to people? I think the first, first thing is to, is to reach out to others, you know, is to not, not go, um, ro you know, rogue and go all the way into something like a community, um, and, and throw away your old life and your old, um, relationships and those kinds of things. Um, you always want to, I think, like, I think a couple of times I've talked about, right, your critical thinking skills, your intuition. It's like, don't leave yourself behind. Um, you, you have those things for a reason and, and they're gifts. Um, and I think you know, I'm growing to believe that, you know, if a meditation practice is good and it's healthy and it's in balance, it actually enhances to a great degree who we are. Um, now, I'm not saying it enhances our selfishness, right? It, it enhances our egoic insecurities, but um, I have a, a, I guess we're talking about the emergency section. Right, exactly. And, and, and here are the alarms. <laughs> Ambulance um, driving by. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I lost my, lost my train of thought there, Mark. Oh, you were saying to pay attention to your intuition and your inner thoughts and that those are yeah. there for a reason, right? And not to get swept up in the just deference or the spiritual bypassing that you experienced. That's right. And it's part of, those things are part of, a, a, of what makes us who we are. It's part of our talent set. So um, I, I've come to realize that the, if I'm meditating in a healthy way as part of keeping myself healthy and connected to um, my deeper self, um, then I actually feel happier I feel more grounded and, and my life flows better. Um, whereas when I'm trying to control things like you were talking about before, um, then it is not flowing much at all, right? And if you, if you find yourself fighting with yourself or shutting yourself down mentally inside, there's a problem there that you need to question. Yeah. I think that that's really great advice. Um, what do you think are some mistakes that people make early in their practice or maybe misunderstandings about meditation that people have? That's great. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I think people have a lot of misconceptions about what meditation is. So I prepare a little list, Mark. So what meditation is and what meditation, what meditation is not. So meditation is not a panacea for your problems. Mm. Um, it's not a way to escape and to become, um, you know, an enlightened Uber person. Um, you know, Bruce Lee, it is not, it's not its job. Um, it's not a way to help you achieve your goals that you have in your mind about what you're supposed to be. Um, that's kind of what we're talking about when we say ego, like we all have these ideas about what we think are, is gonna make us happy and if we start to do meditation in order to make that happen, then um, we're heading down the wrong road. Um, it's not actually a way, meditation is not actually a way to feel good about yourself. This is the, I think the, the thing I hear most from people who come to my practice is they'll say something like, oh, my meditation is not working or I can't meditate. Why? Um, because I'm, I can't stop my mind. You know, I'm not still. I don't feel happy. Um, and if those are the indicators, then uh, people get frustrated very quickly and they end up dropping the meditation. 
So um, it's not about making you happy. Now, there may be side products, right, of uh, a symptom, not symptoms, but um, uh, products of, of your meditation that include feeling happier, that include feeling more centered and, um, and more, feeling more joy in your life, let's say. But um, that's, not, that, that's, a, that's a byproduct. It's not the actual reason for meditation. Meditation is actually to bring us in touch with the truth about ourselves and about life. So um, what you see is the moment you start to, to meditate, what's rising inside of you is the truth about what's happening for you. And there's something there for you to, to learn about yourself and to gain some insight into. So um, the idea of meditation is something that reveals, I think is something I go back to again and again. It, you know, I think of meditation as a window. Um, sometimes more powerful meditations, we could think of it as like a microscope even electron microscope, like, like it helps us peer uh, very deeply into the functioning of our mind. Um, it provides a container like it did for you um, to metabolize our inner experience. So as these things arise and fall away, like oftentimes we're having experiences in our life, right out in the world, and we're having emotional experiences and other things. There's no way to really contain that. You know, we, we make it about something outside of ourselves. Um, we sit with that stuff by ourselves. We don't know how to make sense of it. Meditation provides this sort of containment system that where as we're looking and peering more deeply into ourselves and feeling more about the fullness of who we are, we can actually metabolize some of that. And then the most important thing I think that meditation is, is it's, it's, a, it's a means by which we provide a link to the subtlest, um, inmost, most sort of like transcendental parts of ourselves, what in Tibetan Buddhism we call like the absolute self or absolute love. And when that linkage is, is made and strengthened in a daily way, um, we receive a great benefit from that. Um, we, we, again, there's this kind of flow. Um, we feel like um, we're, we're more right in our own skin we feel more centered and, and our natural intelligence and some of these um, talents, you know, like our intuition and, and our natural talents and things that we want to be doing in the world can come to the surface and be enhanced. So it's just important to, to start to see what, you know, some of the, what some of meditation is and what some of it is not. Yeah. I really like that last point of just a, a way to get to know yourself. But I think what you sign up for, what I'm hearing in, in you know, your list there is that you actually know yourself fully, which is not just the happy parts, not just the calm parts, not just the peaceful parts, but the insecurity, the fear, the negative thoughts, the you know, sadness, the grief, right? Like if you want, if you're listening and you want to know yourself, know that you're gonna you're gonna know all of it. You're gonna get all of it if you start to look. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like it's like it, you get the full spectrum. Yeah, I think I think people often have this sense. I know I did that. You know, if my life is working well, I should feel this, this, and this, and never this, this, and this. But that's just like cleaving off or pushing away a whole bandwidth of experience. I think that was the other thing too. I think in the past, you know, dozen years or so, that you can't really get out of that if you're going to be in a relationship, right? You feel the fullness of 
the chaos of that and the, you know, the, the joys, but also the, you know, the fears and the inabilities to do things. So meditation is, is also about being able to see, express, and feel the full bandwidth of human experience, which we all share. Every, right. every experience, every one of us has the capacity to feel and does feel in some way. Right. It's very unifying in that way, which I think directly relates to some of the, you know, spiritual teachings of that there is this kind of all one mentality. It's just not, at least it wasn't the way that I thought it was, <laughs> you know, it, we, are, we are linked in some ways. And I think the of meditation can really highlight that in a, for me, at least undeniable way, like true in the true sense of the word way. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and we got to be careful too, you know, for some people, I just, you know, I'm always I'm sort of trauma sensitive about these things. So I just want to know that, let people know that, you know, sometimes we get into a retreat or something and stuff flies up too quickly and it's too intense and you can stop meditating and you should seek help under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So just, just because it's about feeling everything doesn't mean we need to feel everything all at once, including past pain. That's hard for us to um, metabolize. Right. Yeah. I mean, the way I talk about that with my clients, you know, a lot of them, um, are physically active. And I say, you know, the way you train physically is that you find adequate challenge, like perfect challenge, just like a little bit too hard, but not too hard that you get destroyed or injured. And you just kind of keep doing that. And I think meditation is the same way. Emotional work is the same way. It's finding that perfect level of challenge to help the organic system to grow. That's right. Yeah. Well, we're nearing the end of our episode here. It always goes by faster than uh, we think it will. Uh, Corey, as as we're wrapping up, where can people find you if they want to contact you, if they want to learn more about you, what you offer, your story? Yeah, I'd be happy to consult with anybody who, you know, is struggling with meditation or or anything. Uh, They can find me on my website, which is uh, www.coreyjflanders.com. So Corey is with an E, C-O-R-E-Y, jflanders.com and um also give a shout out to to cheetah house which is um a, a place here associated with brown university and they do good work with meditators in distress and they have a lot of um a lot of uh, resources for people and you can find them at cheetahhouse.org that's great. Uh, yeah, for those of you that got questions about uh, meditation, Corey's your guy. Then you'd like to direct to the show, you can email, email us at podcast at mark-azulay.com, podcast at m-a-r-c-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.com. Anything you send to us, I'll send directly to Corey. If you have any feedback about the show, any questions for him, if you want him back for a future episode, um, we'd love to hear from you if there's anything that stands out. So thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week on another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.